0: And with that, we are starting a new sermon series. Last week, I attempted an introduction to the Apostles' Creed. And, uh, you know, the Apostles' Creed, we don't believe it is divinely inspired by God. It is not Scripture. We believe it is a faithful summary, been passed down through the centuries of the church all around the world, and it's a faithful summary of what's written in God's Word. And so one of the things I said last week was when you're going through a dark time, it doesn't always help for someone to point you to the only thousand page book you own because you're not sure where to turn. You might not be sure where to go. But to have something like the Apostles' Creed, I can say, hey, give me 45 seconds and we can sum up and bolster our faith in what it is we actually believe. And actually, the Creed is all about a person. It's about God. And it's split up. It says I believe in God, and then you have three headers at different points, the Father Almighty, the Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to take that first bit. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It did not take me long into Monday and Tuesday to say, whose idea was it to preach this? Because in some ways, this wasn't very simple. In my preaching class, one of the things they always hammered home was you gotta have some truth and then you gotta get to some application. I don't know if you heard the statement that we're gonna be talking about this morning, but the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. There's not much for you and I to do in that. You and I weren't around at that point. But as I began to sit this week with with just those couple of lines, I think it unlocks a treasure trove for us to understand who God is. But we can't go too far without first just recognizing this word father comes preloaded with so much meaning for each and every one of us. I don't care what your story is. The word father means something to you already. Maybe you do have a church background and so you've always kind of had this idea of God as father. But whether you do or you don't, you have a father here on earth. Maybe it was someone that you have disowned a long time ago and you've said, no, there was a man that I did happen to come from biologically, but he is in no way my father. Maybe you have a wonderful father. Maybe your father's here today. Maybe, you lo- maybe you've Maybe you recently lost a father, or at some point in your life you've lost your father. Maybe you have this mixed story with your father where, some things that were great, and then there were other shadow sides of your dad that were really hard. But when we come, and we begin to describe God as Father, uh, it's important just to recognize all that you're going to import into that word. For some of us, it makes us very excited that we might get to describe God in that way, and for other of us, we cringe, and it might actually be the thing that's kept you from God. Because you think if he's like a father, I, my experience with Father is not good. Some of you might hear, we believe in God, the Father Almighty. And you think, yeah, I've actually experienced that absent, disconnected, and uninterested in me. And that's hard for us then to reckon with what does the Bible actually mean to tell us when it says God is Father? So just like for us, we're importing all of this meaning to the word Father when they would have been developing and just kind of all around the world at the time, beginning to recite the old Roman Creed, which became the Apostles' Creed, they would have chosen this phrase, Father Almighty, very particularly because there were many pagan stories that would describe their gods as Father Almighty. In particular, uh, a very famous writer, Virgil, wrote the Enid, and he describes Jupiter as the Father Almighty. So when non-Christians would have read the creed and, said, and, and read Father Almighty, their minds probably would have jumped to other kinds of gods who'd been described in the same way. But remember, this is a faithful summary of what scripture teaches. So it's not saying Father Almighty like Jupiter or Father Almighty like your father, it's saying Father Almighty like the father that this book describes. And it actually says, uh, we believe in the Father Almighty, creator. Okay, we have a place to start. The creator. Early philosophers around this time too, when this is getting written, like Plato and Aristotle, would have believed in something that maybe we've come to call a first principle. Some of them believed it was an idea or a thing. Aristotle believed it was a personality. But they wrote the creed to say, no, it's not this impersonal being, it's not some force, it's not some idea, it's not like Plotinus said that it's everything or it's, it's what everything is, this one thing. No, 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 it's the Father Almighty creator of he- The creator, the first principle behind everything. So again, they would have been using the cultural language to pull people in, to say, wait, you have some idea about what you think came first. We do too. The Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. And the creed goes in a, a bit of a different route than the culture would have though. Yes, there is a father almighty, a creator who is the source of all things, but it is the triune God who has always existed as a father, loving the son through the spirit. When we open our Bibles, if you start at the very beginning, you read the phrase, in the beginning, God. So before there was anything else, before there was a beginning, there was God. God. And we find this God who seems to be without beginning, without source, without measure. He is eternally, some words theologians would use as self existing, which means he's not dependent on anyone else for his existence. He is self sufficient. There's nothing in himself that he becomes bored, dissatisfied with. He's not dependent on anything outside of him to simply exist. But when we begin to ask, who is this God that existed before creation? What was he doing before creation? I would point us to John 17, a verse we mentioned last week. This God, this source of all things as we know it, the creator of heaven and earth, the Father Almighty, who is he and what was he doing? Listen to the words of Jesus in John 17, verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Before creation, we have the father loving the son. And we have the son loving the father. This is why we can describe God as father. Because to be a father, you need a son. And if God has always existed and has never changed, he's always been a father. Which means for eternity, he has always had a son. David Hansen, actually in a book on pastoral ministry, has a chapter on the Holy Spirit, and he says it like this. The Father sends his delightful love to the Son, who in turn sends his delightful love to the Father in a never-ending interchange of joy within God. This is why when we confess, actually, God the Father Almighty, we are confessing a God who is Love. We're confessing First John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God has always been a God of love because God has always been a father who loved the son. So then we turn and we say, so what does that mean for me? Carrie and I spent a couple weeks ago, uh, four or five days with a group of other uh, ministry leaders and Some incredible women and men of God in uh, the mountains in Colorado. And at the end, we were struggling with how do we put into words what we felt like we just experienced. And, And they actually did it quite well. In one of our final sessions, they were kind of summing things up and they said, okay, we've spent the last four days really doing one thing. Trying to convince you that you are the beloved of God. And one guy who led the retreat, uh, a pastor named Joe Chambers, on his, uh, I met him online, it's wild, and I sent him a message just because I admired him and hoped to talk to him on the phone, and he invited me to his house in Colorado. I thought, okay, we'll go. And so Carrie had fears the whole time of, we're gonna get ax murdered in in, uh, in Colorado. We don't know these people. Have you ever spoken to them? And we're literally passing the exit for Breckenridge. I'm like, nope, you know, like we are almost there. And uh, so you don't know what their voices sound like? You've never met? No, not at all. We're just going. And it turned out to be wonderful. And we made some lifelong friends there. But, but I met him actually via Twitter, someone else that had done some training in my life. And so I, I, I clicked on it and I start following him. And in his Twitter bio, he says, spending my life trying to convince people God's not mad at them. So when we look at God, the Father Almighty, and we realize we're confessing a God who is love, we we begin to ask, okay, if this is all who God was before creation, what made him create? What made him create? We know he didn't create because he was missing something or he began to feel lonely. Well, It would make sense that if God is the kind of person who wants to share his love with the son and then wants to receive the son's love back to him, that begins to be the model of creation. God created as an overflow of love it would make sense that that same God would want to share his love with others as well. Michael Reeves, who wrote a book called Delighting in the Trinity, which is a fantastic book. If you're trying to wrestle with the things of of, uh, Trinitarian theology, he described it like this, the fountain of love brimmed over. That is what happened at creation. The fountain of love, father and son loving each other. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. And you might pause for a second and say wait a minute where's the holy spirit in that david hansen goes on to say in his uh, chapter on the holy spirit the father loves the son the son loves the father where's the holy spirit the holy spirit is the verb loves he is the spirit of love between the father and the son and now that fountain of love has brimmed up it's overflowed and god has created and this is where our story begins it's very key to understand this. We all learn how to count at a very young age. Maybe you have little kids, or lots of kids here this morning, maybe you have little kids and you're trying to teach him or her how to count. One, two, three. Something happens though in our theology where we forget how to count and we begin to tell our story in Genesis chapter three as if that's the beginning. And we try to be good Christians by saying, who are you? Well, I know I'm a sinner and I know I've messed up and I know I've failed, I know I've blown it and I know I'm just a wicked, wretched worm before God and go read some of the old hymns and they'll use language like that. And Gosh, I just know, and we've spent time in churches that have tried to beat into our heads just how awful we are. But what if we became like little kids and remembered how to count? And we went to Genesis one for the beginning of our story instead of Genesis chapter three. And we realize that our story begins not with the fall into sin in Genesis 3, but your story begins in Genesis chapter 1 with an overflow of love. Where God created humanity and said, "It is good." And he blessed them and he commissioned them. And he wanted to walk with them in the cool breezy part of the day. That's where our story begins. So when we confess God as the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we are confessing him as the eternal Father whose love overflows into creation. We're confessing for you personally, me personally, that our story, my story begins with this God, the God who is first love. And that his original intent in creation is that we would be made in his image, just like the Son to receive his love and share it back to him. God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When we hear that, we ought to hear eternally loving God who wants to share his love with us. The thing that they looked us in the eyes and said on this retreat, the deepest truth about you is that God loves you. That you are the beloved of God. The deepest truth about you is not that you have sinned. It's not that you have failed. It is not your mistakes. That is not, the. those things might be true, but it is not the deepest truth about you. The deepest truth is that God, the Father Almighty created you and he created you out of an overflow of love. And when he created you, it was not a mistake He was not disappointed, but delighted. Now, when we look at Jesus, we understand that Jesus had a very settled sense of being the beloved of God. We see it in a few main sections of the gospel accounts. First, we see it in his baptism. Before Jesus had done anything, before he had healed one person, before he had fed anyone before he had touched any lepers, before he had called any disciples, well before he died on the cross or was raised from the dead. He had done nothing but be an ordinary, average carpenter from a small town. And he is baptized by his his cousin in a river and he comes up And the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Later on in the gospel accounts, Jesus takes a few very close disciples with him up on the mountain and they hear that voice again as Jesus is transformed from what looks just like a normal Middle Eastern man into his full glory, shining like the sun. And they hear again the same voice say the same thing. And then in John 17, the longest single recorded prayer we have of Jesus as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and over and over he talks about the love between himself and the Father. Jesus had a very settled sense of his own belovedness, that the Father loved him. But then the disciples, being good followers, wanting to learn the way of Jesus, Asked him, because they kept seeing him go off in private to pray, and they finally said, would you please teach us to pray? Teach us to pray like that. What what are you going to say? We hear you praying, and we want to learn to pray to God like that. And he said, pray like this. Our Father. Just put yourself in that story for a moment. You're convinced at this point that this is the God man, the Messiah, not just another decent rabbi, because he wasn't a decent rabbi. And you want to know from this Son of God in the flesh how to pray. And he begins, and what he tells you, he says, Our Father. And just imagine one of the disciples stopping Jesus for a moment. Our Father? And he picks up on it and he looks back at the disciple and he says, yes, our. In that one small word, Jesus has all of a sudden made his father your father. He has made his intimate relationship with God your intimate relationship with God. He has taken the being that maybe you have tried your whole life to appease and get close to and you've never known how and you feel like he's angry and he's far away and he says, no, As close as I am to him, which I can assure you from eternity past, I am close. He is now yours. He says, pray like this, our Father. And just picture yourself stopping him. Ours? Yes, ours. And listen to Jesus pray for you about this. He knew this would be difficult for us. He knew it would be difficult for us to grasp our own belovedness. So in John 17, he prays, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am so that they'll see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them. And I may be in them. You struggle with the sense of your own belovedness this morning. Our trouble with this first phrase of the Apostles' Creed is not going to be a theological struggle. This is not going to be something where Uh, Maybe you came ready to get the depths of theology. I can loan you some books. Our trouble with this first part of the creed is not gonna be what all our mind can comprehend. It's gonna be, will your heart allow you to receive just how loved you are by God? And so Jesus himself knew it would be challenging and he prayed for you about it. Father, I want them to, that the love with which you've loved me, I want it to be in them too. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, prayed for you, that the eternal love between the Father and the Son would be in you, and why did he pray for you? If it would have been easy, he wouldn't have needed to pray for you about it. But he knew it would be a struggle. Why would it be a struggle? Because I don't want to receive the love of the Father. I can't believe the Father loves me. I can't believe I would be worthy of love at all. I can't imagine that if someone knew everything about me, they might still love me. I can't imagine if I stopped putting on the facade of how much I know about Christianity, that someone might still love me. Maybe you think you're settled in your belovedness, but it's because you've got this track record and this spiritual resume that you lean back on and you say, you know what, Johnny, I'm not struggling with that today. Thank you, though, and I will pray for others in this room. I'm quite confident God loves me. Well, tell me about how you know he's loving me. Well, here's how I know God loves me. Because every day I'm reading the Bible, and every day I'm praying, and every day I'm trying to memorize scripture, and every week I try to invite somebody to church or tell them about Jesus, and I've tried, ever since I first got my first part-time job as a teenager, I've tried to uh, give 10% of my money to the church, and, and I, have, I have never uh, done certain, I, I've never killed anyone, I've never done certain bad things, and I'm, I'm very involved, I serve. For Pete's sake, I serve and I watch your kids in the kids' class, Johnny. I think, I think I know God loves me. But go back to the story of Jesus before he'd done a single thing. He was a carpenter, built things with his hands, had done no miracles, had fed no thousands, had not carried a cross, had not delivered the Sermon on the Mount, had not called a single disciple, had not raised anyone from the dead. And the Father says this. Do you know the you that God loves? It's the you that has done nothing for God. It's the real you. That might be a you that's difficult to get in touch with right now. Because there are so many uh, masks you're trying to wear, so many images you're trying to keep up so many dreams you're trying to pursue and things you're trying to become. Maybe there's so many aspects of your own life that you're trying to hold together. And you're trying to crowbar your life into some semblance of something you dreamed about in the past. And you're trying so hard to become something on your own. You're doing everything in your power. To live a life that might be worthy of love. And the Father sees you every single morning and every single evening and says, I love you. Not the you that accomplished much for me today, I love the you that's weak. I love the you that you don't want anyone else to see. I love the you that has fallen into sin. I love the you that has made mistakes. I love the you that doubts. And you say, how can I be sure that God loves me? Go back to the passage Jonathan read earlier this morning. Because while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when he created you and when he redeems you, the Father was not waiting to see that you might live up to it one day. When God made you and when God redeemed you, he was not disappointed. He was delighted. And for us, as we recite, I hope the rest of our days as we recite these opening lines to the creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We would remember that there's a reason we go father and then creator. Because before he was creator, he was father. Loving the son and the son was loving the father in the spirit and now Romans five says, God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. So, the application. Will you receive the love of God? Would you dare to believe just how good the truth is about you? Not the truth you wanna believe about how bad your life is going, how hard things are. Would you dare to believe the honest truth about you as a poet said, no matter how beautiful it is. And if you're gonna receive the love of God, you gotta show up. Now you might show up empty, you might show up uh, as a shell of yourself. You might show up with nothing to offer. That's actually the only way you can show up. But if you're gonna receive the love of God, you've gotta show up as you really are. And then watch God see you as you really are. Romans one thirty nine. he knows you inside and out. And he still says, I love you. So as we confess the creed, this thousands of year old document of theology, we can't get but a few words in without going back to one of the most basic principles of our faith. God is love. And he loves you. That's why he created everything. That's why he made you. And that, friends, is the deepest truth about you. Let's pray.